There's 10,000 reasons for our souls to find, 10,000 reasons for our hearts to find, to worship and to praise you and to thank you. And yet we are aware that it's not always easy to see those reasons, that there are seasons in life where it's harder to understand exactly what you are doing. I pray this morning that you might rest upon us and help us to join Job, Job who has his life stripped away, who's able to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us to see whether we're in a period of the Lord giving or we're in the period of the Lord seeming to take, that in the midst of all of that we may say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We can trust you as sovereign and as good, and even where we don't understand what you are doing and why you are doing it, that that is who you are, and we praise your name for it. Help us to see this morning some of those 10,000 reasons. Help us to see them more clearly. And delight, therefore, to follow you and endure with you as we seek you in our lives. So I lift us to you now in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Please do take a seat. And please do find that Bible passage again. That would be absolutely marvellous. It's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, sentences 32 to 39. And it's page 1,200. And nine, page 1,209. I discovered this week, I was up at the university, Staffordshire University in Stoke, uh, talking to a, a group, some of them are students. Uh, Mick, the fantastic chaplain, was there as well, and some of the academics and administrative staff. Uh, and I was having a chat with them. Actually, the conversation was about uh, Beacon Church, our church, initiating a congregation for students uh, there in the university. Um, but in the preamble and the small talk, it transpired that in student world, Antiques Roadshow is much loved. Do some of you remember Antiques Roadshow? I remember growing up with Antiques Roadshow. Uh, let me just, if you don't know what it, what it is, let me just give you a, a little bit of a, a background to it. Basically, it's a show which travels around the UK with antiques experts. They normally take over a stately home or a national trust kind of place. And everyone who lives nearby uh, raids their attic in the vain hope that some piece of junk that they've stuffed up there decades earlier is actually going to be an antique worth £20,000 or £15,000 or, or, or anything. You know, even if it pays for the petrol to get them home, they'll be delighted. And, and then you watch it as people bring their dusty old vase or figurine or picture or whatever it might be, and some expert spends ages describing when it was made and the technique that made it and looking for the marks underneath that show who the sculptor or, or painter might have been. And you can tell that the person who bought it from their home couldn't actually care less about its history. They just want to know how much money it may or may not be worth, don't they? Yep. Well, well, apparently, Antiques Roadshow is back. I didn't know this. It's being remade. It came to Staffordshire a little while ago, I was told. Yeah, a year or two ago or something. And in the student world, it's what students love to do with their spare time, is to watch Antiques Roadshow. I don't get it myself at all. The point of telling the story is it made me realise that there's always a risk that you throw out a great treasure with the junk of our life, isn't there? There's always a risk that some great treasure that we perhaps have lost sight of its value and its importance that we throw out as junk. We don't realise just how precious and important it is. Uh, Look at sentence 35, if you would, uh, here in Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Sentence 35, it says, So do not throw away your confidence. 
it will be richly rewarded. There seems to be a risk in that language of throwaway, seems to be a risk that their, their precious confidence in Jesus, the whole of Hebrews is about confident in Jesus. Now, you may not have that confidence yet. You're journeying towards him. That's what, as a church, we long you might come to know, is confidence in Jesus. But there's a risk that after following Jesus for a period of time, that confidence no longer looks like the precious, beautiful, priceless thing it is, and it gets bundled up in a whole bunch of junk and thrown out. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. It is worth so much. Don't throw it away. In fact, he kind of says a similar thing, but in quite a different picture, uh, in sentence 39 as well. Look at sentence 39. He says, but do not belong to those who shrink back. Do you see that word, shrink back? It literally is the idea that you're, you're following Jesus, you're confident in Jesus, you're, everything is going well, and then all of a sudden there's something that looks so intimidating, too big a threat, and you shrink back. You say, I'm going to stay back here where it's safe. I, I, I'm not going there. That, that image in my mind immediately reminded me of when I was whitewater rafting some years ago. And we'd gone through a number of rapid shoots and we'd done them well. And a few of us had been thrown out the boat at times and scrambled back in. We were individual kayaks. And then we were going along and we got to a 22-foot waterfall drop. Right, And the idea, I don't know if some of us will be kayakers, the idea is when you're in a drop like that, you, call, you do what's called a duck dive, and you basically back paddle slowly. So the boat, the, the kayak you're in, very carefully gets to the edge of the waterfall. So you're back, you're, you're back paddling like this, so it slowly gets to the edge of the waterfall. And as it reaches a tipping point at the waterfall, you lean all your weight forward, and the kayak goes nose first, straight down, horizontally, straight down the waterfall. You go into the water at the bottom, five, six, seven metres into the water, which breaks your fall, and back you come up in a duck dive. A thrilling and terrifying in equal measure. As I came to it, I shrunk back. I was like, whoa, hang on a minute, whoa, 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 I'm not ready for that. It's that kind of imagery here as well, you see. Not that necessarily you throw away a precious gem, some of us might do that, of our confidence, but actually we get to something that's intimidating, we say, whoa, 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 hang on. Now for some of us, we're journeying towards Jesus, and the thought of actually trusting him, the step to being a Christian, or for some of us, the step of being baptised publicly, whoa, we're shrinking, we're shrinking back. For some of us, it's things like, hang on a minute, God, I've journeyed with you for 40-odd years. I've raised my family. I've worked hard. I've done everything I possibly can to serve in the church. I've given it my all. I've been looking forward to this period of life. They call it retirement. I've been, I know you're busier. That's why I do that. I've, I've, I've listened to what you've all told me. You just say it gets busier. No such thing as retired, just refired. Yeah, yeah. But having given 40 years, you get to that moment and you think, oh, it's time just to pause and relax and, and cancer strikes. Or the first signs of dementia take hold. And you just want to shrink back, don't you? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's too big. Whoa, this wasn't on the cards, Jesus. This isn't how it was meant to work. The whole of Hebrews 10, you see, is about the risk of, in essence, quitting. In essence, quitting. Shrinking back or throwing away that treasure, whichever imagery suits you best, it is that the marathon that is following Jesus is hard, and sometimes there are moments where we just want to say, I'm done. I'm going to throw it out the side. I'm going to throw it away with the junk. I'm going to shrink back. I am, I am done. 
I'm done. Now, actually, as we've journeyed through over the last three weeks, there's actually three categories. We're on category number three of the ways or the forms that we do that. I just want to summarize the other two, partly because I did it this morning, and people found it so, so helpful to have them seen a bit more clearly, one after the other. The first category uh, of risk is in sentence 22 to 25 of chapter 10. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Is neglect. It's just some of us actually are just neglectful about investing in our relationship with Jesus. It's not intentional or proactive. We're not, we're not walking away in a thought-through way. We're just neglectful. The caricature here might be Lazy Lucy or Lazy Larry. The gender doesn't matter, does it? But Lazy Lucy. She knows that Jesus has done it all and though she feels she doesn't need to do anything. Confident that Jesus has done it all, she just is lazy. I don't need to do anything now. She doesn't make coming to church regularly a priority. She doesn't invest in a small group in the kind of way that those relationships really support and assist her. And she's just neglectful. She wakes up one day without really knowing when she made the decision and realizes she's far, far, far away from Jesus. She's thrown Jesus out without ever really knowing when she did it because it was made in a thousand small, tiny, neglectful choices and priorities. And so he urges lazy Lucy in sentences 22 and 23 and 24 with the little phrase, let us. He says to the lazy Lucys amongst us who are slowly drifting away by our small choices of neglect, let us draw close to God. Let us draw near, sentence 22. Come on, draw near. Don't be lackadaisical and complacent. Draw near. And he says there in sentence 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. That's so proactive, isn't it? Don't be lazy with this wonderful thing that Jesus has done, but hold on to it tight. And then he says again in sentence 24, let us consider how to spur one another on. Let's invest in the relationships we have and spur one another on to keep going for Jesus. After all, it's the soldier isolated on their own who the sniper takes out. It's the antelope separated from the herd that the wolf pack devour. So spur each other on and do it in community. So some of us just need to pause and hear our loving Heavenly Father saying to us, Lazy Lucy, Lazy Lucy, come on. You're, no, you're neglecting such a great salvation. That's the word at the beginning of Hebrews. Such a great treasure that you're making it junk. And one day you're going to throw it out without even realising you've thrown it out. Because you've neglected it. And it looks so dusty and rubbishy. You're just going to throw it out because you've neglected it. So there's lazy Lucy's that he talks to as he urges us on. Secondly, it's not neglect. In sentence 26 to 31, it's mutiny. It's mutiny. Not neglect, which is a kind of unintentional complacency, but mutiny, which is an intentional and deliberate act of rebellion. Not Lazy Lucy now, but rebellious Robbie or rebellious Rachel. The person who kind of deliberately, kind of intentionally, kind of purposely, knowing exactly what they're doing in a premeditated fashion says, actually, I'm turning away from Jesus. Look Look at sentence 26, if you would. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of the truth. So he's clearly talking to people who've received the knowledge of the truth. They're trusting and loving Jesus, and there comes a day that they deliberately rebel against that, intentionally and purposefully, knowing exactly what they are doing. 
last week when we looked at it, we reflected that that can partly be because of cultural conflict. You don't want to come into culture with conflict, so you join conflict side to avoid the barrage. And the only way to convince culture, your friends at work, your, your peers, that you really are in agreement with them is if you deny Jesus, isn't it? Otherwise, they won't really believe you, really believe you. Or we do it rebellious, that rebellious Robbie, that deliberate act of mutiny because of personal cost. We say, actually, Jesus, I don't like where you're calling me. I don't like how you're calling me to spend my money or my time or my priorities. I don't like that. It's going to cause too much discomfort in my life. The personal cost is too great. I don't like that. But it is too uncomfortable to live in disobedience. So I'll simply deny you have any authority over my life. It is more uncomfortable to live with the guilt of disobedience than simply to deny Jesus. And so we end up denying Jesus so we don't have that guilt of not following what he's calling us to do because of the personal cost. We looked at that last week. Does that make sense? So our loving, gracious Heavenly Father here, as he talks to Christians just like us, some believing, some not believing, some going strong and some waning, he says, first of all, look, be aware that you could become a lazy Lucy. And if you are a lazy Lucy, come on, let us, let us, let us. And he says to some of us, just be aware, you could become a rebellious Robbie. And you could actually turn away from Jesus. Have your mind clear about that possibility. And then this, this third and final category today isn't neglect, isn't mutiny, but it is exhaustion. It's exhaustion. It's a weary Walter. It's someone who just says, I am really tired. I've been following Jesus. I've been doing my best. And the road has been hard. And it's been long. And I'm just spiritually exhausted. I'm on my knees and I just want to give up. It's just become too hard and too difficult. Now, many of us will know this reality. Many of us are living it right now. Some of us have lived it in the past and got through it. Your job is to encourage the rest of us when weariness sets in. And maybe most important of all, we're called to be family. It's who we are as a church, Beacon Church, loving people. We're called to be family. And family encourage each other when the going is hard. So what I'm going to teach you now about how we get through these weary stages is important for you, but some of you need to note it down because you need to encourage someone else with it. You need to spur someone else on. You need to write a letter this afternoon to a weary brother and a weary sister and say, keep going. You need to send them a text or give them a call or meet for a coffee or speak into their life at your small group and say, keep going. So even if you don't feel like a weary Walter or a weary Wendy this morning, there will be someone who is, who you have the opportunity to encourage and keep going. Basically what he says in this passage is he gives us the two spiritual red bulls that we need to re-inject the energy. The two spiritual Pro Plus tablets. You remember Pro Plus? You don't see it so much. That little caffeine hit that gets you through exams or a long shift, like that, yeah. So he gives us the two spiritual versions of this. The first, in sentence 32 to 36, is to look, look back on the times Jesus saw you through in the past and remind yourself we'll see you through today. Look back and remember the times that Jesus saw you through, the difficult, weary moments. You got through them. Jesus got you through and be encouraged he'll get you through this one. And secondly, in sentence 37 to 39, to look forward and to see that Jesus is running towards you so fast. 
to see that Jesus is coming at 100 miles per hour towards you. So don't stop. You are running towards him. Somehow in our minds, some of us Christians, we get this idea that we're chasing Jesus. Yeah? Like we're running after him and he's looking over his shoulder saying, ha, 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 ha. Yeah? We do somehow. It's so not the story. The story is of a God who is rendering heaven to get to us. Who is literally, we're told in Revelation, tearing the heavens open to get to us. So the second spiritual antidote is to realise Jesus is, as someone said this morning, he's pegging it towards us, isn't he? It's not the most religious phrase, is it? Pegging it to us. But he is. He's just like running as fast as he can towards us. And that motivates us to keep going, to keep going, to go over that waterfall. Yeah, because he's coming. He's coming. Let's have a look at the two in slightly more detail, if you would. So the first one is look back on the past times where Jesus helped you stand firm and be encouraged by that. Look at sentence 32 to 35. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded. Do you see what he says there? Remember, remember, remember those early days. Remember those days when you got through difficult times. Remind yourself of them. And that means today you won't throw away your confidence in today's difficult time. Look back at how Jesus kept you going to remind yourself he will keep you going now. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Now, of course, if you're like me, when you read some of the language in sentence 32 and 33 and 34, hopefully, like me, you're just relieved that it doesn't describe us today in the UK. You know, the language of suffering along with those in prison and confiscation of your property and publicly exposed to persecutions. Now, of course, we have brothers and sisters and churches around the world where this is the case. I spoke to someone from Iran just this week. Uh, who's been in the UK three years seeking asylum. He can't talk properly, he can't eat properly, because in Iran he had his teeth smashed out for being a Christian. And at the moment he can't access NHS healthcare um, because he hasn't got the status in the UK to get his mouth fixed. Wrecked teeth. So it happens in our world, doesn't it? But we should thank Jesus it doesn't happen to us. We should, as we stand alongside and pray for and advocate for people in the world where it does happen, we still should say thank you. It doesn't happen to us yet in the UK. But if you look closely, there are some things, I think, that are more common to us than we might actually first think. Look at sentence 33, if you would. Do you see sentence 33? It says, sometimes you are exposed, publicly exposed to insult. To insult? See, I think many of us can associate with that, perhaps. And look back on an episode or an incident where actually we were verbally insulted for being a Christian in some way, shape or form. Because words matter, don't they? 
I used to get bullied at school because my hair was long and curly. It looked like a shampoo advert. I could flick it all over the place like this. And I used to get bullied a bit at school for that as, as, a, as a kid. And I remember one instant very clearly, probably the latter end of primary school, where a bunch of older boys were, were standing around me in a circle and kind of singing and dancing and, and basically mocking my hair, bullying me, bullying me because of this long hair that I had. And I was deeply upset by it, as you could imagine. I remember going home at the end of the day and my mum knew something had happened because mothers always know that, don't they? And my mum asked, you know, what happened today and I told her the story my mum said to me she said Alex sticks and stones may break your bones do you know it sticks and stones may break your bones but words will never hurt you but it's not true is it because words really do hurt don't they especially when they're public words that other people over here that you you value and are, are important especially when they're words from people that you love or who have the keys to your career in their hands Those words hurt, don't they? And we want to avoid them. Even more, did you notice it says when you're publicly exposed to insult, even more when they're publicly done, in front of people you love and care for. One of the hardest moments I think I've experienced in the last few years, about a year or so, is when someone verbally took a sledgehammer to me in in the crudest of languages about being a Christian and being a pastor, horrendous kind of language about how bigoted I was, uh, all sorts of stuff. None of it I felt was in any way true while my children were standing listening. The public exposure to insult is what's hard, isn't it? Makes us perhaps want to give up, throw it away, shirk back. And yet here he's writing and saying, do you remember the moments Jesus saw you through that in your past? Do you remember the moments when Jesus saw you through that in your past? Can you remember the times, some of us? Just, I'm asking you to think right now. Can you remember a time when being a Christian got you a bit of stick? Yeah? But you're still here, aren't you? Yeah? You're still here. So he'll get you through the next bit. He will get you through the next bit. As I stood on, uh, stood, <laughs> I'm not Jesus, as I sat in my canoe on the water, um, as I sat in my canoe on the water, looking at this massive 20 plus foot drop, back, you know, back paddling to keep away from it. The, the kind of coach, the experienced kayaker who was taking us through this, he just pulled up at me and he said, Alex, do you remember the first fall we went over? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, that was six feet. I said, yeah, no, I remember it. So do you remember the second fall you went over? I said, yeah, yeah, no, I remember that one. That was, he said, that was 11 feet. I was like, oh, right, I didn't realize. He said, do you remember the one we've just done about a mile back? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, that one was 18 foot. I was like, oh, really, was it? He goes, yeah, yeah, this one's only 22. You've done it before, you can do it again. There's a spiritual dynamic to it, isn't there? And actually, there's a great, in uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to a church in a place called Corinth. And he writes to them as they, they think they're going to shirk back. They think they're going to stop. They think they're going to throw, throw the treasure away. They're going, ah! And he writes to them and says, God never gives you more than you can bear. Yeah. But he might build up what you can bear as your spiritual muscles get a bit stronger and tougher from a five-foot fall to an 18-foot fall to a 22-foot fall. But he's not going to give you more than you can bear. So the first thing to, the first antidote to weariness, to pass on to a friend who needs you to encourage them, is encourage them to remember when Jesus brought them through. Encourage them with your story of when Jesus brought you, you through. Encourage them with the history of a faithful God. Remember, 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 and don't throw it away now. That's the flow. 
Secondly, and much more quickly, because I want to pick up in more detail next time we look at Hebrews on it, but secondly, it's to look forward. Sentences uh, 37 to 39. It's to look forward to the future time when Jesus comes back. To not just look back and remember how Jesus has got you through, but to look forward and remember that Jesus is coming back and keep running towards him. Let me read it again. Sentence 37. For, and then he quotes from an ancient part of the Bible, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Do you see what he's saying in that first quote? In just a little while, he who is coming will come. He is not delaying. Jesus is not running away from us with us madly chasing him, wondering if we're ever going to get there. Jesus is not even standing at the finish line cheering us on with a stopwatch to record our time. Jesus is pelting it down, down the course towards us. The example I saw of this was just at the kids' sports day. It was beautifully, Jesus gave it to me for you this morning. I've no doubt about it. It was just too perfect. Where I'm watching the boys, our boys at sports day, and a bunch of kids, none of my children, a bunch of kids line up on the start line for the sack race. And one of the kids is a kid of a teacher at the school. And that teacher happened to be the one recording scores at the end of 100 metres. They had the kids doing a 100-metre sack race in 30 degrees heat. I'm like, you, you get them working hard, yeah? And off the kids went in their little sacks, you know, jumping, 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 jumping. And this kid, whose teacher was a, whose mum was a teacher, fell once, bam, got up, jumping, jumping, jumping. Now in last place, fell again, bam, on their face, jumping, jumping, jumping. And, there, and last place by a mile now, tears coming down their face, starts start to get up. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see this blur. And this mother, who is a teacher, is hurtling down the course to her son. Like hurtling down the course to her son. And just scooped him up and ran to the finish line with him. Right? There's Jesus. Right? He's not running away from you. And he's not just standing at the finish line with a stopwatch, wondering what time you're going to make. He is hurtling down the track to you. Hurtling down the track to you. The one who is coming, he will come, and he is not delayed. Keep running towards him, because he's hurtling towards you. So what is it for you this morning? Are you weary? Are you weary, Walter? Weary, Wendy? Do you need the encouragement to look back on how Jesus has seen you through other hard times and you're still standing? The encouragement to look forward and see Jesus, just like that mum hurtling down the track to scoop you up? Or do you need this for the encouragement of your friend in your small group? What is the letter you should write this afternoon? Who should you write it to? The text message you should send. Keep going, my brother. Keep going, my friend. Do you remember when it was really hard 10 years ago? But we're still standing, aren't we? And I'm with you. Can you send that text? Can you write that letter? Can you speak into someone's life, that encouragement? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you're a God who longs to encourage us and you long to see us finish the race. 
I thank you that we can all think back or hear from one another of the moments where we have stood firm in difficult times, kept going in difficult times, when we have not thrown it away, when we've not shirked back. And I pray this morning that you give us the encouragement we need to encourage either ourselves or to pass on to someone we know and love and long will keep going themselves in difficult times. May we both be encouraged and be encouragers as we run this race for you. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.